You know, people ask me for advice, and the best advice that I can give is to be proactive. When you like something, be proactive. And what's the best way you can be proactive about listening to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast? It's easy. First, you have to know I appreciate the fact that you're streaming this, that you downloaded it, that you subscribe, whatever it is. Oh, you don't subscribe? Well, that's the first thing that you can do. To be proactive, make sure that you're subscribed to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It costs you nothing. It's available on just about every platform you can think of. And if you subscribe, you're guaranteed to get every single new episode for free as soon as they drop before anybody else. The best interviews, the best insight. I promise you that. The other thing you can do to be proactive, go on over to iTunes and leave the podcast five stars and a positive review. It helps more than I can tell you, and it costs you nothing. Do it to it, and now enjoy Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh yeah. It's that time. Podcast time, baby. Oh, yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's going to be a great show. Leading into an amazing weekend. Survivor Series weekend. I don't know about you guys. I have a lot of favorite memories of Survivor Series. I've always thought Survivor Series was like... uh, It was a a pay-per-view where they always took chances for better or worse. Like, I always liked the format of the multi-person tag matches. Like, I, I, I always thought those were fun. But, you know, I, I also was a fan of when they went away. And the reason... So, Survivor Series, when you think about it, it was all multi-person matches, which I always thought was fun. You know what I don't think is fun? When they would announce two people or more as sole survivors. Soul, not S-O-U-L. Not like it's the sole survivors like they have soul. S-O-L-E. Soul. There can be one. One person is a sole survivor. Two or more are simply survivors. But that's not, that's what I don't like. What I do like is that you get uh, teases and combinations of matches that you wouldn't see. I like the combinations of matches that you normally wouldn't see, and that's a big part of this year's Survivor Series. But the other thing I like is they, they always had matches at Survivor Series that you wouldn't expect to have, even on a singles level, right? Like, uh, of course, The Undertaker's first title reign. That was the first singles match at a Survivor Series. It was The Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan for that WWF at the time championship. And who would have thought that The Undertaker would walk out as WWF champion in 1991? In November of 91, a year after he debuted? Nobody. And it set off like that was actually a great time. Like that unpredictable main event set off a chain reaction that would lead to probably the best Royal Rumble of all time, and then maybe one of the worst WrestleManias of all time. But regardless, you concentrate on Survivor Series, you concentrate on the Royal Rumble. In 92, they first made the shift of making Survivor Series a show that wasn't just about those multi-person matches. I think they had, that was the first year they had like one 
Survivor Series multi-person match, and the rest were singles matches, but they were all ridiculous stipulation matches, and a lot of grudge matches. You had uh, Undertaker versus Kamala in a rematch from SummerSlam, but this time it was the first ever casket match. You had Nails versus the Big Boss Man, uh, uh, where they were finally um, getting to a rivalry that had been building since the summer. Only this time, it was in a nightstick match. It was one of the very early WWF fill-in-the-blank-on-a-pole matches. You know, I think that I think WCW had just done a, a... I think it was at Halloween Havoc 92 when they did the coal miner's glove in the spin-the-wheel-make-the-deal. Unless that was 93, but I think that was 92. So that would have been October. So that was, 92 was a big time for poles in wrestling. But... It was like, uh, it was wacky matches that you wouldn't normally see. And then, Macho and Perfect versus Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. You wouldn't expect the tag match. Mr. Perfect coming back out of nowhere. Like, it was just a weird time. 93, they kind of go back to multi-person matches. And you've got a shot of The Undertaker uh, with a trench coat that has an American flag lining. Ridiculous, right? 94, you got multiple doinks. I think, uh, and you got Backlund winning the WWF Championship in 94, I think. Yeah. 95, you got Bret Hart. 95, you got Bret Hart winning the championship from Diesel. And that set off a string of events. From 95, you know, you can then start mapping out the history all the way to 97. 96 was an amazing Survivor Series at Madison Square Garden. That's where you've got, uh, uh, you know, Austin versus Hart for the first time. You've got Undertaker versus Mankind, where the Undertaker's coming from the ceiling. Sean versus Sid, where Sid actually wins the title, and Sean gets booed out of Madison Square Garden. 97, of course, the screw job. You go forward into the 2000s, and you've got the first ever elimination chamber at a Survivor Series in Madison Square Garden, where Sean wins the title again. I mean, you've got a lot of history in Survivor Series. I think in the more recent years, it's kind of taken... A backseat, but another Madison Square Garden Survivor Series memory. The Miz and R-Truth versus John Cena and The Rock. And while The Miz and R-Truth are never going to go down as a, a one of the top tag teams of all time, it was the first time The Rock came back. That was his first match back in many, many years. So, a lot of memories with Survivor Series. I always get excited about Survivor Series, and, uh, and this year is no different. We're going to give a full breakdown of Survivor Series of NXT TakeOver War Games, which, you know, if you want to talk about history, you can talk about the history of Survivor Series, but uh, one night prior to Survivor Series, it's TakeOver War Games, and we can get into the history of War Games. We can get into the fact that it was, it was, to me, I believe, in its prominence, which is the late 80s and early 90s, once they got in to the late 90s and it was like, it wasn't really war games anymore. Especially, like, they, they one, they had a triple cage on one ring, and they were like, this is War Games 2000. Like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's just a stolen concept from the movie Ready to Rumble. That's not War Games 2000. But the classic War Games matches, and even into NWO versus the Horsemen, while it didn't have the pizzazz that it used to, let's keep in mind, it was a War Games match where Sting said goodbye to WCW. Sting was in the War Games match. We first saw the fake Sting compete 
thinking that he had gone to the NWO. That was a War Games match. And Sting leaving WCW and going up into the rafters for a year, that was a direct result of that year's War Games match. Let's think about wacky. You want to talk about wacky? How about the fact that the Shockmaster, one of the greatest wrestle crap segments of all time, was a lead-up into a War Games match. That War Games match, by the way, featuring Booker T, who's going to be on the panel of uh, of the TakeOver show, of the War Games TakeOver show, which we'll talk about the panels and, and everything I'll be doing at Survivor Series during the bridge segment of today's podcast. Um, but so much, and then of course, you know, you go into the 80s when the War Games was absolutely classic. And I hope that they, they talk to Paul Ellering. Like that's the X factor in this War Games match is the fact that uh, Paul Ellering, who's going to be there with the Authors of Pain, actually has experience inside the War Games. You know, I mean, if we're talking, if we're breaking down this match, we're talking characters, the Authors of Pain have a distinct advantage. All the rest of these guys maybe grew up watching war games on television, but not the Authors of Pain. No, the Authors of Pain have a manager who is actually in war games matches. So, so much uh, to get into as we lead towards this weekend. Uh, And of course, we'll also talk about in the state of wrestling, uh, the life and times of the character known as James Ellsworth, who is released from WWE. He's still alive as a man, but the character uh, is now gone. So we'll talk about all that uh, in this week's State of Wrestling. Uh, As far as the interview goes this week, uh, last week I want to thank you all for your feedback on the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase interview. had a great time interviewing him. He's a complete legend. The full video is up on YouTube, so check it out when you get a chance. This week, we've got Daniel Bryan. Now, uh, a couple of quotes came out uh, from Daniel Bryan. All of them took place at WWE night at the New Jersey Devils game at the Prudential Center. Uh, I was there. Come on. You think your boy's not going to show up? I was there, and I also had the opportunity to interview Daniel Bryan. Some of the stuff he talked about, uh, he talked about with other people, quite frankly, and it's kind of out there. Um, But I was happy because I was reading other people's interviews, and I felt like while there is some repeated information uh, I got a more complete story uh, from from Brian in terms of what his plan is and where he wants to be. That, to me, you know, he got into all the statistics. X percent chance I'll be back. X percent chance I'll be here. X percent chance I'll be there. But for the first time that I've heard in this interview, he talks about where he actually wants to be. Where would he prefer to wrestle his next match. Uh, And he talks about that in the interview, as well as uh, dad stuff. You know, I'm curious about all that stuff. Dad stuff, uh, living his life. And uh, a key here is that he had said for a long time that he may change his mind about whether or not he wants to return to wrestling based on having a kid. Does he want to risk more now that there's more to lose because there's a child involved. So I asked him about that. I asked him about everything that you might want to know. And he is my guest. Here he is, Daniel Bryan, this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. It's WWE night at the Prudential Center for the New Jersey Devils. And Daniel Bryan's here. What's the haps? I'm here. Daniel Bryan? Yeah, nothing. What do you got going Just, on? I'm wearing it. You got the jersey. I got the jersey. It's got my name on it. Is that, is that, a, and it's actually your, your. My real name. Your real 
first name is my real first name is my <laughs> is on the back of the jersey. Yeah, it's my fictional last name. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So that's like almost like when like a like when like a seven year old gets a jersey and he's just known by his first name. Yeah, he's like, put Brian on the back. Yeah, of it. I like, wish they would have put Birdie on the back of it, and she would have had her first jersey. Yeah, isn't it's, that amazing that like you get cool stuff now and you're like trying to figure out how to relate it to the kid because it's like that's kind of all that matters yeah yeah it's the only thing that yeah i love it though people send us stuff people send us stuff to birdie it's addressed to birdie how do they get your address okay so i don't know exactly but it's not like our house addresses our po box address but so brie has like an agent and then maybe they contact the agent somebody and says like oh we'd like to send them some stuff okay yeah yeah, and then Birdie, so Birdie just gets gifts. She just gets gifts. That's amazing. Yeah, and she doesn't even know she gets them. Like, she's more interested in the wrapping paper. This well, is like... Are you going to try to protect her from that? Because, like, you know, you, you, you both have become very, very famous. You're both uh, wrestling stars, but also reality stars and TV stars and social media stars. Like, are you going to, once, once the baby gets old enough to kind of uh, embrace that, are you going to try to pull her out of it? So, she so here's what's going to happen. Yeah. This is what's already happened. I tried from the very beginning to protect my baby right from social media. I saw on the reality show. And my wife says the people the people deserve <laughs> the people deserve to see the bird on TV or on Instagram uh, right. or whatever it is. <coughs> the people. The it's people. not just our baby. Yeah, it's not just our baby. They've come along with us on this journey. Right. Right. They deserve to see Birdie and I'm and I roll my eyes, and I fought it for a little bit, and then I just was like, then she just posted pictures of Birdie on her Instagram anyways, and then it's just like, you know what, I can't. As a husband, like, husbands know this. You don't ever win. No. You don't win. No. Yeah. But the, And also, the harder you fight it, the more it becomes, now it's a thing that it's not there. Right? So, like, if you're fighting getting those photos on social media, and people become aware that, oh, no, no. Brian doesn't want the photos out there. Now everybody is clamoring, like, well, will we, now we have to see him. Okay, but they only would have known about that if, if we allowed that on the reality show. Right. But, like, before the reality show they were even filming it, Brie had already put the photo <laughs> of Birdie on social media. So, and so it, 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 it's, just, it's just one of those things where I don't even think it would be an issue if we just both agreed, like, hey, no, she shouldn't be on social media. I don't, like, I don't want that life for her. Like, right. I didn't, I didn't have to grow up. With like, okay, Brian, you have to look cute because we're putting this out to Brie. I don't know how many millions of people follow right. Brie on Instagram, but it's a lot. It's a lot, and like you have to look cute for the millions of people out there. Okay, but I'm a baby, <laughs> and like I just am trying to figure out how to get this avocado in my mouth. Right. I know that. Like I didn't realize that there are millions of people judging yeah. what, like whether or not I'm doing a good job getting right. this avocado in. Or right. Not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've, uh, I mean, I think I'm not on a reality show because as I was watching you guys go through the struggle, I was thinking the same thing because I've not had to put any photos of my kid on social media yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. But I'm also not married to a Bella. Yeah. So there's not that thing. Right, yeah. There's right? not that thing. I don't have a lifestyle blog and a mommy thing. Right, like yeah, It's yeah. just a bunch of. Oh, it's not a blog. It's a vlog. Vlog. I'm sorry. Vlog. Vlog. <laughs> <laughs> that must be a, a pretty major culture clash for you because on one end you're like, you know, my dream is to have this minimalist house that's made of wood that I just built myself in a garden, but it's really hard to vlog 
from <laughs> houses like a vlog that. from there yeah. so it was actually so we uh we had purchased a house up in washington state and that's going to be our, what we consider our forever home mm-hmm. and uh it's awesome on two and a half acres right all that kind of stuff uh brie was very frustrated with her vlogging because the wi-fi connection not good yeah not yeah, good yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's going to be we're going to have to upgrade our wi-fi connection <laughs> at, you know you get our, gigabit wi-fi yeah. and it's like minimalist <laughs> everything's minimalist except the wi-fi right connection. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, has you talked about like when you're talking about your wrestling career and whether you know you would wrestle again uh, post WWE you you would always say that a lot depended on your mentality after you had a kid mm-hmm. and while it's only been a couple months so I don't I don't think that mentality is fully developed mentally are you like yeah no I could see myself not taking those risks anymore because of the kid or uh, so I I actually have flipped that it's a different it's a different thing mm-hmm. now actually and it's weird because you know you see your baby and you want them to have not everything that they want but they want them you want them to be able to like I want them to be able to pursue a dream and that sort of thing and just this idea of like okay I feel like I can still wrestle and all the tests are saying that I can still wrestle mm-hmm. uh, but they're not allowing me to wrestle so okay do I what kind of example is that setting? Right, I see. It's like somebody's somebody's telling you you can't do something that you love, but you still love to do it. Yeah. And so, uh, well, I should probably just listen to them because it's easy and I'll get a steady paycheck and, you know, I've got a baby and all that kind of stuff, right. you know. But uh, it's the, kind of the opposite thing of like, hey, don't let somebody, like, stop you if you – yeah, can pursue this dream if and you like can pursue this dream and and do what you love and that sort of thing. And also, the idea it also now is not even to be like. So in 2013, my last full time year in wrestling, I did 227 matches, which is probably why I needed neck surgery in 2014. Right. Uh, but um, I, I have no ambition ever of doing that many wrestling matches ever again in a year. And actually I would probably be more interested in doing 50 to a hundred matches a year. I was going to say, like, I feel like wrestling's at this amazing place where you could do four. Yeah. And like, you know, they could be very high profile and you could make good money doing them and they, they would be impactful things. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing is, I don't know if I would be, um, artistically satisfied with four. I gotcha. You know what I mean? I enjoy wrestling, mm-hmm. you know? And so, uh, so it would be interesting to see, like, what would be the number of that would satisfy me artistically as far as a creative outlet versus I actually don't want to spend that much time away from home. So that's right. – it's a weird conundrum. That's why I think Jerry Lawler had the best career ever, right, is because he spent all those years in Memphis, and the Memphis territory was relatively small. You know what I mean? As far as size-wise, you know, they did an incredible number of viewers on their stuff. But they uh, – but like a lot of those drives were two hours from his house, right? So you could wrestle, you could wrestle 150, 200 days a year, yeah. and still be in your bed most nights every night. Right? You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. The the greatest career ever. So it's like it, up in uh, Washington, there's this independent company called Defy that's actually doing really cool stuff. But they only run shows like once, maybe once every couple months, or they might sh- run one show a month or something. But I was like, man we could get that into a small territory <laughs> where I could do where I could do two shows a month and get out there in my spandex battle jammies and do my thing. I would love the reaction to if people are like, well, is he gonna is he gonna end up popping up at a WrestleMania or will he go to New Japan or Ring of Honor? And you're like, I'm in Defy. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, 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 no. To be to be to be one hundred percent honest, uh, my first preference is to be cleared by WWE. 
cool. the the yeah. other stuff is if WWE doesn't clear me, you know, and there's you know there's uh, like when um, I like to give things in percentages and realistic percentages. So I think that there's an 85% chance that I would wrestle again. So I think the percentage of me wrestling in WWE again is probably on the lower end of the 20%. Uh, just because there's a lot of stuff. Like it's just uh, not even health stuff, but corp- more corporate stuff that they have to be very careful because they're a sure. billion dollar company that employ a lot of people. And if something were to happen, not to say that anything would, but if something were, that it's a liability issue, right? Like that's a let's say something catastrophic happens to you that would have happened anyway. Like that you would have happened clear, regardless. The fact that you have this history is now yes. like, well, what was he even? Yeah, what was he doing in the ring to begin? Yeah, with? yeah, and a lot of blame gets put on these people, right? When it shouldn't be, right? You know that sort of thing. And so it's, uh, I would, I would put it at a very low percent percentile of WWE being able to clear me to wrestle. And don't think for a second that like Vince McMahon or anybody is like holding me back because I have had conversations with very high level people in WWE and they would love nothing more than for me to wrestle. You know, because I mean, you've, they're not, they're good people. They just have to, and the we'll fact look is, over like, all these people. I also know for a fact that they want you on yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah, they do. Like, yeah, they yeah. Could, like, it's just logic. Like, I, I, I've been there watching you trying to squirm your way out of doing TV, and they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're yeah, doing, yeah. you're doing yeah. talking back. <laughs> yeah, Whatever. Yeah. You're staying and you're right, doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But so, like, if but, they wanted you, if they want you to do stuff on TV in general, of course, yeah, they would want you. Yes. To wrestle if that were a possibility. Yeah, they would, they would if, if that was, and that's more of an issue with their lawyers than it is with anybody else, I think. And so uh, I would say there's about a 20% chance of me being able to come back to WWE. I would say uh, a higher percentage, 85% chance of me wrestling um, somewhere else mm-hmm. if, if that's it. But there's also a 15% chance because I'm out there. You've the done fr- all the math. I, yeah, I'm out there on the fringes of, right. of, of doing concussion testing stuff. Like I'm doing... Uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment, which is, um, it's not like, oh, I went to this one weirdo guy and he told me to go do hyperbaric. I, no, it's I was listening that, to Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, no. It's like, so I'm working with the Joe Namath Institute in Florida. Uh, they're ha- they're doing a uh, testing with the FDA with the hyperbaric oxygen therapy. There's also a, um, a center that's doing it with recovered um, vets in Phoenix. There's people all over doing this government testing on whether on the validity of the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and they're doing more and more tests because what they're finding is they're getting very, very positive results, that sort of thing. And so, but what I'm, what all that means is that I am out there doing like the, the fringe testing that isn't necessarily FDA approved. And if there's something that shows a, a red flag, like my number one priority, as we talked about earlier, is my baby and my right. wife and my family. And I love wrestling. I don't love it more than having a quality life until I'm 70 years old, you know. So, right. uh, so, so I'm also very open about like, hey, there's a chance that one of these tests, all the other tests that I've taken have been, literally been fantastic, like better than people with no... Is it, no concussion history whatsoever. So, is it rewarding on on some level because you're missing that high? But is it is it rewarding that you are on the cusp of this thing that is going to affect a lot of people? Because concussion stuff for all athletics, like people just don't know about it. Yeah, and so one one of the things is, and then I've talked with um, one of the. Oh, sorry, they had me do this ghost pepper chip challenge right before I came on the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was doing another interview with it. Uh, <laughs> sorry, they said instead no. of interviewing me, they're going to have me do this challenge. And 
And it's not that it's even spicy in my mouth anymore, but yeah. it just like something got caught in my throat that I got a spice like way down in my esophagus. I'm just <laughs> like, oh, okay. But uh, but yeah. So one of the guys who works for Barrows Neurological, the doctor there, when I retired, he called me. and was like, what happened? And I explained him the situation. He goes, well, one of the things I'd be interested in is you coming and talking to kids like at high schools and stuff like that about concussions and because one of the big problems with this whole thing about me getting cleared is my own fault about me not owning up, being honest about my concussions, right? That's like a huge thing. And your doctors, wherever you're at, they have to be able to trust you to be like, hey, if the WWE doctors don't trust me to say like, hey, man, I'm not feeling like my head's feeling something with my history, then, right. they, sh then they shouldn't. They shouldn't put me out there right. because if I'm going to come back and say, no, I'm fine, no, I'm fine, and then they have to be watching out for somebody else. Right. Like, so that's the thing. And the because it's been put, it's fear, it's fear based where people in high school, like high school football, say if you're a high level high school football player who's on the cusp of potentially getting a college scholarship and you get a concussion in a game and you're like, Oh no! I don't want to tell anybody because that could disqualify me from this, or maybe they won't let me do this, or maybe they won't. So all of a sudden, now you're concussion prone. Yeah, we don't want to. Yeah, 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 we don't want to risk all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, now your future has been thrown away, and you've been based, basing it so heavily on this hope that you could get free college, right? Yeah. Uh, so going and talking to kids, and the reality is that's not the case, right? They, if you go and if you say that, hey, I got a concussion, you might miss a couple practices, you might miss a game. But it will it will depend on the symptoms, how long the symptoms last, and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't disqualify you from anything. All you have to do is let your brain heal, and then if you let it heal fully, you'll be back ready to go. Right. And so, and spreading that kind of awareness too—that like, okay, it's important that you report all of these things because that is going to give you a better chance of returning to do what you love to do, whether it's football, whether it's hockey, whether it's wrestling, whether it's whatever. So, uh, so I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of stuff there that, um, that is like, has been encouraging for me and like, okay, I can get the message out on this stuff or at the very least I can be a lab rat and whatever they find with me can it'll help, help someone. It will, it'll help someone down the road somewhere. So. I could, uh, I could talk to you all night as I'm sure you're aware, but I got to let you go drop a puck or something. So <laughs> thank you for making the time on uh, WWE night. Yep. Here at the Devil's Game, and uh, it's always good, man. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Here is Sam Roberts. Always love catching up with Daniel Bryan. I wish I had had more time, and before you get critical of me, I know, I, I, trust me, if it were up to me, I'd be giving you 90-minute interviews every week with most of these guys, but I did. It was, it was a good, solid 15-minute interview with Daniel Bryan, and uh, if you're mad at the length of the interview, then uh, bear in mind, they only gave me 10, so... I sat in for longer for you to make sure that you got to hear more of this conversation, 15 minutes instead of 10. I I, I sat in 50% longer than I was actually supposed to. So there you go. Daniel Bryan, uh, and I hope you all had uh, your abacus out for figuring out exactly the math behind his return. Okay, so we're in, I believe, if I remember this math, and I probably should have been taking notes as we listen to that interview together. But we've got an 85% chance that he'll be back. It's a 20% chance, I believe, that he'll be in WWE. And obviously an 80% chance that he'll be elsewhere. Um, it sounds like the percent chance that he'll be wrestling for that, you know, 
weird local organization in Washington is probably higher than any, than any of us think. Um, but I was really, uh, made me feel good to know that the place that Brian wants to wrestle is in WWE. That if he had his druthers, it would be a match in WWE because every time you talk about this guy's story and where he's going, you go like, oh, I bet he can't wait to get to Ring of Honor. I can't. I bet he can't wait to get to New Japan and wrestle in the Tokyo Dome and do this and do that. And while I'm sure all that's true, I'm sure he would have a ball doing those things. It's great to hear him say, well, no, I want to wrestle in WWE. I want to be at WrestleMania again. Like, that's what I want to do. So uh, I was happy to hear that. And uh, I liked his explanation about his kid. And I think he's right. It really sounds like the injuries are not quite what we thought they might be. And this has become more of a legal thing. And he said it was a legal thing. Um, And it was also great to hear, and I hope that you guys take to heart, and I believe him, that Vince McMahon and the powers that be at WWE are simply not trying to hold him back. But WWE is a a publicly traded corporation. It's It's not as easy as just, well... I want to see you back in there so you're back in there now. You know, it just doesn't it doesn't work that way in a company the size of WWE. So thank you to Daniel Bryan for being a part of the show. I wanted to make uh, my big announcement. <laughs> Sound like that kid in Stranger Things. <laughs> um, this weekend, I will be a part of the festivities. Yes, uh, I will be a part in some way, shape, or form of the WWE Survivor Series kickoff show. Uh, I think it's a two-hour kickoff show, as is tradition for the Big Four. Of course, Survivor Series starts at 7 p.m. Eastern. I believe the kickoff starts at 5 p.m. Eastern, live from Houston. Uh, And I will be a part of that kickoff show uh, as it stands right now. Uh, Also, the night before Survivor Series, on Saturday... It will be yours truly, along with Booker Booker T and the wonderful Charlie Caruso, uh, doing the pre-show for NXT TakeOver War Games. I'm so excited, and I'll talk about all that in State of Wrestling, but I will be alongside Booker T and Charlie on the TakeOver uh, pre-show panel, um, and I love doing them for NXT, because I love NXT. It's fun to talk about what's going on in NXT. Um I got to do it uh, for TakeOver Brooklyn 3, and I've been invited back to do it for TakeOver War Games, which is going to be a really, really special show. All right? So I'm very excited about it. Of course, you can watch both those shows on the WWE's YouTube channel, live as they happen, uh, or if you've already got the WWE Network, watch them on the WWE Network. All right? I'm, I'm, I, I can't wait for Houston. I'm really excited about this weekend. I think it's going to be a blast. Um, let's get into the state of wrestling. So, uh, I'm doing something special this week on the state of wrestling. Uh, by the time you are listening to this podcast, you won't have the opportunity. You can go back to the Facebook page and watch the video, but, uh, going forward, I can't promise I'll do it every single week, but going forward more often, I am going to be broadcasting my state of wrestling live on Facebook when I record it the day before the podcast comes out. So if you want to hear the state of wrestling or watch the state of wrestling get done live from the Not Sam Studios early before the podcast gets dropped, make sure that you like facebook.com slash Not Sam and you'll get the uh, notification, I suppose, when I go live because that's where I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do the state of wrestling's 
If I do a bonus state of wrestling, that might pop up on the YouTube channel. But in terms of the weekly state of wrestling shows, I will do them on Facebook for the time being. Uh, and I will do them live so you'll be able to uh, catch a glimpse. And, you know, I look at the comments as I'm doing them. So if you want to participate, if you have a question, if you want to just uh, add a thought to it, then please do so uh, and like the Facebook page and you can watch the live broadcast. All right? I mean, now that we got the Not Sam Studios, there's really no reason not to make everything a live broadcast, right? Am I right? I think I am. Let's get into it, baby. We got a lot to talk about. It's going to be a long one. It's time. Oh, it's time. For this week's We're going to talk about Survivor Series. We're going to talk about TakeOver. We're going to talk about James Ellsworth. It's going to be so much fun. It's time for this week's State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. And here it is, State of Wrestling time. We are live on Facebook, so I'll be going to some of your comments as we go. Of course, in the future, if you didn't get a chance to join us live and you want to join us live for this, make sure your friends or whatever like facebook.com slash not sam and you'll get a little alert when i go live and then you'll be able to be part of state of wrestling when i uh when i when i record this thing live so this week's state of wrestling i think it's only fair that we dedicate it uh to the wwe career of a superstar that i don't want to say we lost the superstar this week because he's not dead but uh, a superstar whose career kind of uh ended in a bit of a surprise This week, uh, as of hours ago, WWE has officially announced that they've come to terms on the release of the great James Ellsworth, the man that taught us that anybody with two fists can put up a fight or whatever that phrase was. James Ellsworth is no longer a WWE superstar. He's back to... uh, to, to being a journeyman wrestler, which is what brought him to the dance in the first place. Look, there is nothing, nothing to say about James Ellsworth that's negative. Honestly, I you know, people were annoyed by him, but that was okay because he was a bad guy. The fact is that this is a guy who you want to talk about capitalizing on opportunity. This is a guy who shouldn't have been able to, to do any of this. Really, one of the only reasons why James Ellsworth uh, got the buzz that he did, it was a couple of things. Number one, it was the return of enhancement talent. James Ellsworth showed up to WWE uh, one night when it was uh, in a match with uh, Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman, the build for Braun Strowman was just starting, and James Ellsworth shows up as Braun Strowman's very first opponent in the Braun Strowman era that we know him as now. Of course, he was a member of the Wyatt family before, but once the superstar, once the draft happened and Braun Strowman became kind of a centerpiece of Raw, there was a build around this guy for months. And James Ellsworth was the first opponent for the new Braun Strowman. And I think everybody got such a kick out of uh, not only what he looked like, but just the appearance of enhancement talent in general in WWE that... WWE had no choice but to acknowledge that this guy was was somebody that at least people were talking about. I had him on the podcast before he uh, signed. I had him on the podcast in that in-between time between his match against Braun Strowman and his signing to SmackDown. That was the other thing that made it so that he could be a part of this thing, that he got signed to SmackDown 
at a time when SmackDown was trying things, right? And they're still doing that now, but when SmackDown first became its own brand, one of the things that separated it was they were really going for it and trying things and doing things that were outside of the box. Let's not forget this was the era, the James Ellsworth showing up in SmackDown for the first time era was the era that that Heath Slater and Rhino were a legit top tag team. And not in a, oh, I can't believe they're trying to shove Rhino and Heath Slater down our throats. It was actually like, yeah, I love Heath Slater and Rhino. People were excited about these guys. Um, and that's the way people felt about James Ellsworth for a while. You know, he was a he was the, the good guy underdog for a while when he first signed to SmackDown and became a full-time superstar. Uh, he super kicked Kurt Hawkins at one point in Madison Square Garden. Uh, he does, I think, he owes at least one victory over AJ Styles, if not two. AJ Styles almost killed him. Of course, James Ellsworth was the guy who tucked the area where there would be a chin uh, for the Styles clash, which, if you do that, you'll break your neck. So AJ had to kind of move at the last minute. We've talked to him about that on the podcast before. But he did a lot, right? He did the whole thing with Dean Ambrose. Then... He becomes a bad guy. I mean, he made a real mark. What was he, around like a year? And he really did make an impact. He goes on and solidifies Carmella as a bad guy, in my opinion. That's really what 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 stamped her as like, oh, I don't like what she's doing because first it was because of the way she treated James Ellsworth, but eventually James Ellsworth became such an effective bad guy that it was just that Carmella was hanging out with him. We were all annoyed at James Ellsworth, so we became, we became annoyed at Carmella, which is effective. That's exactly what James Ellsworth was there to do, and he did the thing. Uh, of course, he was uh, the, the superstar responsible for the very, very controversial ending of the first ever Women's Money in the Bank match, which I think is going to go down uh, for a long, long time. People were so pissed, so pissed when James Ellsworth climbed up that ladder and handed, dropped the money in the bank briefcase and gave it to Carmella because it was like, oh, they're taking away this moment from the women. I always felt like it was fair game. I didn't think that it was a slight on women, but a lot of people did. And I get why they would. You know, I just didn't, I just personally didn't think that that it was. Um, so, and then I, I thought it was funny that he was sitting there wearing a dog collar. I thought it was... Well, no, wearing the dog collar wasn't funny. What was funny was Carmella tying him up to the ring post as if it was like a dog you were tying to a parking meter while you went into the deli to get a sandwich. I, that was funny to me. It didn't it didn't have a specific payoff. There wasn't ever any like explanation as to why that was happening, just that Carmella was not nice, which I guess in and of itself is a payoff, right? I guess in and of itself, that is a reason for doing it. So, and then... He kind of went out the exact way he should have gone out. He went out uh, on the bottom. He went out getting uh, beat by Becky Lynch on SmackDown. And then throughout the European tour, you know, if you go on online and you see the videos and stuff, you could see that on several of the European dates, the women were beating him up, which that was James Ellsworth's purpose. That was James Ellsworth's purpose from the start. And... He's getting an action figure. I don't think it sucks that he wasn't in 2K18 because now he won't be in 2K19, right? There's no way. So 
he won't be in a video game. That's a shame for James. It's a shame for James. But uh, he's getting an action figure that is still going to come out. Like, they've already made it, so it's going to be shipped. He got a year of TV time. He got big angles on pay-per-view. And James Ellsworth is a guy that was never supposed to make it. You know, honestly, we look at James Ellsworth from the lens of this bad guy wrestler, right? We look at James Ellsworth as this uh, annoying guy who wore the big gold foil hoodies that were too, you know, way too big for him, that were, it was just kind of uh, being obnoxious and, and trying to uh, act like he was more important than he is because he got to hang out with Carmella. We, I, I think that a lot of uh, resentment and hate built up for James Ellsworth based on his character, which ironically is like the mark of a great performer. The idea that people really started to hate this dude because of what he was doing on TV is everything that you thought James Ellsworth would never be able to do, which was make you buy into his character. So really, we look at it from the lens of, oh, some jobber who blah, 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 blah. He just hung out with Carmella and screwed up money in the bank. And you could look at it from that lens. But if we look at it from a more optimistic lens, because we try to be optimistic about sports entertainment and professional wrestling on this podcast, if you look at it from an optimistic lens, James Ellsworth's story is the story of Rudy. James Ellsworth is Rudy. James Ellsworth is the guy who was never supposed to make it. He's a small guy. He doesn't have a ton of athletic ability. You know, I'm sure that he had his match with Braun Strowman, and then he was telling people, you know, they're talking about signing me. I don't know. You know, I might get signed, and all his friends in Illinois were like, they're never going to sign you, Ellsworth. They're never going to sign you, James. You're going to be stuck working the factory just like your father. And what happens? He gets signed, and he goes, Shane, I just need you to put me on TV. My dad's watching at home every week, and he doesn't believe that you signed me. I need you to put me on TV. And James Ellsworth goes on to do more than most of us could dream, to work with Ambrose and work with AJ Styles and and be a big part of that Money in the Bank ladder match and have a, a giant spot at Madison Square Garden and and headline pay-per-views. And I don't mean that he headlined pay-per-views in the sense that he was actually in the main event and people were buying it for him, but he was involved in these giant things at pay-per-views. So, you know, I see some people on, on Facebook are like, uh, James Ellsworth is a waste. If James Ellsworth was a movie, he would be The Room. No one knew they needed to see him until they did. Maybe James Ellsworth is also The Room. Now, I think you could absolutely compare James Ellsworth uh, to, to Rudy. But maybe if you wanted to romanticize it a little less because we all love Rudy so much, you could also compare James Ellsworth to Tommy Wiseau from the film The Room nowadays because Tommy Wiseau is not the most skilled person in the world, is not accepted by his uh, uh, Hollywood community. But what does he do? He makes this movie anyway, and eventually it gets accepted to the point that James Franco is going to be playing him in a movie next month. That's the James Ellsworth story. You can't get mad at people who make it despite the fact that they weren't supposed to make it. You can't be mad at those people. The people who make it, despite the fact that they weren't supposed to make it, are us. It's you and me. I never understand people who who dislike it, 
when the guy that wasn't supposed to make it, what, because it's not you? It could be you. That's the whole point. If nobody who wasn't supposed to make it made it, if the people who weren't supposed to make it, if the people who weren't supposed to get there never got there, then none of us would have a shot. None of us would have a shot. James Ellsworth's career exists so that we know that we can get there one day. Because who's to say we can't? I could sit there and say, I got a white zombie logo tattooed on my arm. And that's a true story. I really do. I could sit there and say, I don't have a terribly in-shape torso and I've got a Rob Zombie tattoo on my arm. How would I ever be a pro wrestler? And then I turn on the TV and I see a guy who's not in great shape with an offspring tattoo on his arm. That's even worse. And he made it. So I can make it. So you can make it. That's, that's, that's the, the way to look at James Ellsworth and the career that he's had so far. You could, it's about, uh, I don't know if gratitude is the right word, but really thinking about what was, what, what, was guaranteed to you? What was supposed to happen? And if you're looking at, if you're James Ellsworth now, you could be bummed that the ride's over. You could be bummed that 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 part of your life is done and you were on this high and now it's done. Or you could realize that, wow, you really think the people in James Ellsworth's life took him seriously when he said he was going to be a pro wrestler? You really think so? He just made WWE money for a year. He was on TV action figure, the whole thing. You can't not take him seriously now. James Ellsworth is going to be able to go to autograph signings for the rest of his life. He'll be fine. He can go to any convention he wants. If Virgil can do it, Ellsworth can do it. And if I'm James Ellsworth, I'm going to lay low for five years, and then I'm going to steal Virgil's gimmick. And I'm just going to buy my own folding table, throw it in the back of a station wagon, and drive from convention to convention, whether I'm invited or not, and just show up. I'll make a lonely Ellsworth blog. I don't care. I'll do that for him. We'll get him to the next level the same way we did for Virgil. But... Look at, look at James Ellsworth. I mean, you know, you can look at a lot of people for inspiration. I think a lot of people look at, like, uh, AJ Styles. I'm inspired by AJ Styles. Well, guess what? We don't have the athletic gifts or ability that AJ Styles have. We don't have the hair that AJ Styles has. How many among us are AJ Styles? He's the best dude in the world. I'm not AJ Styles, and you're not AJ Styles. But we're a lot closer to James Ellsworth. And if he can do it, we can do it. Because we got two fists. You know what I mean? And we can do whatever we want with them. In the privacy of your own home. It's your business. So, I think that, uh, I think that all you can do is respect the dude. And, and be happy that this thing happened at all. Be happy that, that this, this whole arc. Be happy that the Ellsworth era existed. Because it's awesome. It's awesome that the thing happened at all. Uh, I see some comments coming in on Facebook. Sam Banks says, I imagine Vince thought James was absolutely hilarious. I wouldn't be, uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, it says, uh, George uh, over here says he's a 15-year veteran with his own promotion. Wish he'd had a chance to show that side. I, I mean, I don't know. What, do you want to make him a promoter? You know, I, don't, I, don't, I think that uh, James Ellsworth got a chance to show more than anybody thought that James Ellsworth would ever get to show. So, you know, congratulations at the end of the day to James Ellsworth. Uh, it's awesome. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. 
Let's talk about the weekend. Well, before we get to the weekend, let's talk about Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. So, before, right after the show got posted uh, last week, last Thursday or Wednesday, whatever day it was, uh, the rumor mills went wild. The internet went crazy because it said Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn had been sent home from the WWE European tour. And it's still kind of unclear what happened. The only uh, explanation that's been given online, and I have no inside information about this, but the only information that was posted online was that uh, people were mad because they didn't let New Day act like uh, bad guys. They didn't let New Day get the heat in their segment last week on SmackDown. But if you turned on this week on SmackDown, New Day, they weren't acting like bad guys at all. They were acting like, you know, the best guys ever. They were acting the same fan-favorite way that New Day acts. So unless they changed course, which is possible, um, I don't know. I don't I don't know what happened with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I think it's suspicious that they're not on Survivor Series at all. They weren't buried, buried, burial. They weren't, uh, uh, you know, hidden by any stretch of the imagination on SmackDown. They had a few segments. They had, you know, mic time. They had, uh, they were part of that opening segment. They were part of the main event match uh, that that led to the Raw Under Siege SmackDown thing. So, you know, I, I don't think that there's this tremendous punishment on Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, but maybe there is because it is suspicious that they're not any part of Survivor Series. Kevin Owens went from one of the biggest players on SmackDown, main eventing the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view in the Hell in a Cell with Shane McMahon to not being on Survivor Series at all. And you could write it off to there's just not enough room. But you would think, I, I would have thought that Kevin Owens would be on SmackDown Survivor Series team. It's a strong team. It's a good spot. I think Bobby Roode ends up looking the best because what do you have? You have uh, obviously Captain Shane McMahon, with John Cena, Bobby Roode, Shinsuke Nakamura, and who's the guy that I'm forgetting? I'm forgetting, uh, 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 we got Shane McMahon, Bobby Roode, John Cena, AJ, not AJ, he won the title. Uh, but, either way, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised that Kevin Owens is not on the Survivor Series team. And then, if you had Kevin Owens on the Survivor Series team, you could have Sami Zayn at ringside there. So, it's interesting, and I think that that's definitely something to look into. But I don't, I don't, I don't know what happened. You know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, let's talk about the weekend. Let's talk about Survivor Series in specific because I don't. I was on Lillian Garcia's podcast this week, and I was saying that I didn't think that Charlotte was going to win the women's championship on SmackDown because. Uh, there was so much jumbling. Randy Orton. Randy Orton is the name that I'm forgetting on the Survivor Series team. So yeah, you got John Cena, Randy Orton, Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, Bobby Roode, John Cena. You know, you got you got a big team, right? But you would, I, I just thought that there would be a spot for Kevin Owens on the team somewhere. Just because he's been such a big part of SmackDown since the Superstar Shakeup. You know, for a long time it was... AJ Styles and Kevin Owens, while they were uh, they were in this rivalry over the United States Championship, it really was the highlight of SmackDown. That was around the same time you had uh, uh, Jinder Mahal 
and Randy Orton in that WWE Championship picture, which of course is the main event, but because Randy Orton is one of those tried and true guys, not necessarily like, oh, what's going to happen here? And Jinder Mahal as champion never really clicked. I think that the audience looked at Kevin Owens and AJ Styles in that United States Championship uh, rivalry as the number one thing on the show, as the thing that was getting people to tune in. Uh, and and so to go from there to not being on Survivor Series is fishy, to say the least. But I thought, as I said on Lillian Garcia's podcast, that because Survivor Series had been jumbled up so much last week that AJ Styles won the WWE Championship, so now Jinder's off the pay-per-view, right? Now AJ Styles is in the Brock Lesnar match. Triple H gets added to the Raw Survivor Series team. You know, all this stuff is happening, which is not bad stuff. It's not, it's not, it's not damaging stuff. And the Tag Team Championship changed last week, too. You had Cesaro and Sheamus being put into the match with the Usos so that then you could have what we all kind of realized was happening, which we talked about last week, the uh, New Day and the Shield match. So you have all this stuff happening last week where you've built Survivor Series for the last you know, m- month, month and a half almost around this Raw versus SmackDown idea, but these matches were announced. Kurt Angle, you remember, he shows up on Raw early on, like a month ago, and starts listing off the champions and who they're going to be facing. And while it was always champion versus champion, the idea of Brock Lesnar versus Jinder Mahal, Natalya versus Alexa Bliss, Miz versus Baron Corbin, Usos versus Ambrose and Rollins. That were, those were matches that we kind of latched onto early on. So to go from there to like changing everything up, it, it all got changed up logically. I don't have a problem with the way it got changed up. Because of the way Survivor Series is designed this year, there were options to change the card up until obviously this week without it coming out of nowhere, without it being uh, uh, reckless. You know, there was still there was still uh, sense that was made of all the changes. That said, I wouldn't expect this many changes to have happened because, you know, you think that when you're selling people on a pay-per-view, the matches are a part of it. All that said, that's just me being a stickler for change. Maybe that's 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 my personality leaking out in me. Saying like, oh, I'm afraid of change. I don't want things to be different. I already wrapped my head around what was supposed to happen. I don't want anything different happening. All that said, if you look at the Survivor Series card today versus the Survivor Series card three weeks ago, this is the show that you want. The show that we're getting is the show that we want. So last week, we talked about it all. AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar is a, I see the merit some people don't see the merit at all. I see the merit in Jinder Mahal versus Brock Lesnar. I, I, just in the sense of what's going to happen. Because I think Jinder Mahal has to be completely crushed. But that really damages what you've done with Jinder Mahal, theoretically, uh, over the last several months. So, what do we do here? Um, so that, that, to me, was the interesting part of it. AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar is a much bigger match. AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar is a match that I go, okay, this is a big four match. This just puts Survivor Series in the SummerSlam ballpark. 
This is is a this is a dream match. Jinder Mahal versus Brock Lesnar is an interesting match. G, uh, uh, AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar is a dream match, and I I can't wait to see it. And as we talked about last week, there's a very real possibility that AJ Styles beats Brock Lesnar because the championship is not on the line. None of the titles. They haven't announced that any of the titles are on the line. So I would assume that all the champion versus champion matches are non-title. That said, you've now got the opportunity to have AJ Styles beat Brock Lesnar because they're on separate rosters. You don't have to continue on this rivalry. Eventually, Brock and AJ will meet up again. Eventually, this will have to be settled. But you can have AJ get this amazing victory. Put AJ on a whole other level. And still not really damage Brock Lesnar. And Brock Lesnar can go and do what it was that he was going to do before. And if you have Roman Reigns still beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania this year, you've now got two options. You've got an option A where Brock Lesnar says, AJ, I owe you. I want another match with you. And now you've got this big AJ Styles-Brock Lesnar match while the championship is going on over here. At the same time, I think it's only a matter of time before AJ Styles is on Raw. I think he's too good. I think he's it's just, it's, it's a matter of time. So, eventually, when AJ Styles does pop up on Raw, if he beat Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series in a non-title match, wouldn't he be somebody who's entitled to a Universal Championship match with Roman Reigns? I think that could be very interesting. So, to me, all the money is in AJ Styles beating Brock Lesnar because of the possibilities that come off of it and because, to me, it doesn't hurt anybody to have that done. Okay, let's move down the list. You've now got uh, The Bar, Sheamus and Cesaro versus The Usos. Match is going to go either way. Uh, I was more excited for Seth and Dean versus The Usos, but regardless, I think this match has the potential to steal the show. I think it could. this is still going to be a great match, and... Sheamus and Cesaro are as good as they or just about anybody else has ever been. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see this match. And it doesn't even matter who wins. It's just going to be a match that people talk about. You've got Miz versus Baron Corbin, which is the the only, other than the Cruiserweight match, which is not interpromotional, Miz versus Baron Corbin is the only match that has maintained. It's the only title match that has not been changed up since this card was announced. And I think that that's a good thing. You know, I'm not interested in Miz versus Sin Cara at the moment. Who knows? Maybe you can get me interested in Sin Cara. But at the moment, I'm interested in Miz versus Baron Corbin. I think they're two of the best bad guys in, in the company. And uh, they've been doing a, a, a quite a good job of promoting it and creating an idea that there is real animosity between these two. And, like, let's think about it, Right. Baron Corbin is kind of the roughneck from the wrong side of the tracks, and The Miz is the privileged varsity football kid, right? This is the typical high school battle between the two bullies. These are the two guys you didn't want to mess with. One was the, the kid who you didn't under, he had no parents. He had no rules. He didn't show up for class, but he was there after school to beat you up. And the other one is the captain of the football team that threw you in the garbage can. It's the two bullies of your life competing head to head, which I love. I think that that I, I think it, I think that that's a cool match. Um, the women's championship match 
Natalia is out. Charlotte is in. It's Charlotte versus Alexa Bliss. Again, I've always been of the thinking that uh, it would be okay to have Charlotte continue to wait to be the champion of SmackDown. That said, there's never been a doubt in my mind as to who the the best uh, women's wrestler on SmackDown is. It's been Charlotte since she got there. And Alexa Bliss versus Charlotte is an awesome match. And I don't... I I think Charlotte should absolutely win the match with Alexa Bliss. If Alexa Bliss were to beat Charlotte, it would be another feather in her cap, and it would help her. But I think your eventual money match is Asuka versus Charlotte. Those are your two number one females on the roster. And I think in order to get there, you may have to get more towards an inter-promotional match. Again, maybe something you can do at a WrestleMania, something like that. In order to get there, there has to be a reason, and you know you have you have you at some point Oscar winning the women's championship from Alexa Bliss, and then Charlotte coming forward and saying, "Well, I've conquered everyone there is to conquer on SmackDown, and I've conquered all your people on Raw. I beat the the women's champion. Who's left to beat?" And then Oscar is the only person that Charlotte hasn't beaten, and there you go. There's your big match. To me, that's a match I'd like to see, and for that reason and others, uh, I'd like to see. Uh, Charlotte win that match. I I was very I was shocked that Charlotte won the women's championship on SmackDown. I didn't see it coming. I'm not uh, perplexed as to why you're in Charlotte. Ric Flair is in the building. Like it completely made sense, and it was a special moment. But to make that drastic of a change, and it is a much bigger match. Charlotte versus Alexa Bliss is a is a bigger match. Charlotte versus Alexa Bliss because Asuka has not built to where she can be just yet. Asuka's still in the Braun Strowman phase of beating the James Ellsworths of the world. Asuka will get there. At this moment in time, Charlotte versus Alexa Bliss is about the biggest women's match you could have based on the women that are on your roster. So, you know, you could have waited. You could have done it later. But if you're going to have there be head-to-head battle between Raw and SmackDown only once a year... Why not have your biggest matches now? And that's what's kind of happened. It seems like uh, over the last month, precautions uh, or steps have been taken to make it so the matches that happen are the best matches. Even the the the, the five-on-five five match has become so much more higher profile than it looked like uh, before. Now, I do think that... See, here's why I'm, 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 I'm wondering about what's going on with... Well, I'll get to Kevin Owens in a moment because I also want to talk about uh, the women's match because I see Dale Sanchez on Facebook. He goes, how about Paige, Sam? Let's not forget about her. And I'll tell you why that is a great, great point because it has been uh, made official that uh, the person who is joining... So I assumed, like I think many of us did, that Natalia would just join the SmackDown women's team. At Survivor Series. Um, she's not. Well, she might. It's it, it, what, what the official word is, is that the final member of the women's team will be announced at Survivor Series. At the pay-per-view, SmackDown's final team member will be added to the women's team now that Charlotte is in the championship match. I have to believe that Paige is going to be on 
SmackDown's women's team. That otherwise, why wouldn't you just put Natty in right now? And it sucks for Natty because now Natty is presumably off the pay-per-view if what I'm proposing is true. But in terms of making your biggest impact, I think you have to believe that Paige will be on SmackDown and will be SmackDown's uh, person. People, And that would also explain why all the rumor mills were saying that Paige was backstage at Raw this week. And Paige did not show up on Raw. Paige was not there. She was backstage. I think there were photos of her backstage, you know, uh, uh, commiserating with the people. But she was never on television. Why wasn't she on television? Well, maybe because in this effort to make Survivor Series even bigger, they go, okay, if we put the championship on Charlotte, we've now got a free space on the SmackDown team. Now we can put Paige. See, with every change that they make, it's always for bigger. Right now, it's for bigger and bigger, right? So when AJ Styles gets taken off the SmackDown team of men, he's not replaced by Jinder Mahal. He's replaced by somebody even bigger than AJ Styles. He's replaced by John Cena, right? So when Charlotte is taken off the, excuse me, Charlotte is taken off the SmackDown team, who is going to replace Charlotte on that team other than somebody bigger? than Charlotte only because it's her return, and that's Paige, which is really interesting because now you've got this scenario. I think we, a lot of us thought that Paige was going to be on Raw. I'm more interested in Paige going to SmackDown because I'm very interested to see Paige versus Charlotte matches. I'm, I'm very interested to see that. What if, what if Paige is the, is the sole survivor of the SmackDown Women's Survivor Series team? Then she can sit there and say, okay, well, now I want the champion. And that would be Charlotte. So I think that's what you're going to get with the SmackDown um, women's match. Uh, and that, that's going to be your mystery person on that team, which I think is a great call. I think that's, that is the move to do. Again, sucks for Natty, but, but in terms of how to make the biggest show possible, that's how you do it in my book. There are some people that are uh, conspicuous by their absence on the show, specifically on the SmackDown side, but a little bit on the Raw side too, and I want to talk about both. So we talked about Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I think that they will not be on the show. If they are, it'll be to beat up Shane McMahon. But the problem is that everybody who's not on the show could come out and interfere, right? All the big names that I'm going to list off that are not on the show could come out and interfere, but you can't have interference in every single match. You can't have all these guys coming out and screwing up Survivor Series. So what are you going to do? Pick some of them and not pick some of them. And I just feel like for whatever whatever the reason was that Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens got sent home, I would not be surprised if that same reason doesn't maybe doesn't keep them off Survivor Series, but maybe it was one of those things like, all right, send them home and forget it. We just they don't have to come to Survivor Series. One of those things. Not like, well, now they're not allowed to be here. Now we're going to take them off the show. Maybe they didn't have anything for them, and they were like, you know what? Forget it. Forget it. Let's teach these guys a little lesson. We're just not going to put them on the show. I'm not. I'm just. Maybe there's just a bad vibe about Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens because they got sent home. I don't know. Or maybe they didn't get sent. I don't know. But that's my theory, that Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn won't be on the show. They could be, and they could interfere with Shane McMahon. But again, you know, I think that Shane McMahon is going to uh, be a bad guy. You know, and there were hints of that this week on SmackDown. 
when you had Daniel Bryan. Here's why I don't think Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are going to be on Survivor Series, besides what I've already said. I don't think that the rivalry with Shane McMahon is going to continue because Daniel Bryan came out and said that he has a problem with Shane McMahon, that he needs to talk to Shane McMahon about there being more cohesiveness. Now, we know, and we listened to the interview this week on the podcast, the odds of a Daniel Bryan versus Shane McMahon match happening ever are about 15, no, about 20%, I believe was the statistic. A lot of numbers were thrown around in that interview, but 20% are the odds that that match is going to happen in a WWE ring. So, that's a pretty low number, and it's not going to happen anytime soon. So, uh, I don't know where to lead, but I do think that it's going to shift Shane McMahon over into a perspective of a guy who's uh, getting to be a little bit power hungry and getting to be a bad guy. And, and I think there will be somebody else that represents Daniel Bryan, but I don't think that Shane McMahon is going to get jumped at the pay-per-view because if he gets jumped, then Daniel Bryan can't really come to Shane and say, hey, man, I'm upset because I got jumped. And Shane McMahon is like, really? You're coming and complaining to me after I just got jumped? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't it doesn't allow us to feel sympathy for Daniel Bryan if Shane McMahon just got ju- uh, jumped. So I don't think we'll see Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn on the show unless it's in some kind of surprise thing and it starts something new, which is cool. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, here's the other thing. At first, I said... Jinder Mahal will probably uh, interfere in the Brock Lesnar-AJ match, will will cost AJ the match to, to kind of continue on with that AJ Styles thing. Because in my mind, I go, Jinder Mahal will be the champion for the India Tour, right? Because the India Tour is around the corner. And it's been so, I think it's so funny that us fans have uh, gotten to the point now where we... We, we sit there and and know about what stuff it, what 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 everything's uh, business is in India. I think it's really funny that that's a conversation that us fans have that like oh well they're doing this because well because of India and we don't like what business do we have that's such inside baseball stuff that wrestling fans should not have to worry about where business is better internationally and all this stuff. But the fact is that we're sitting there as fans in America confused as to why Jinder Mahal is champion. And the only the only thing that we can grab onto is this idea that in India, he's a big star. And, you know, and, and it's important for the WWE to have this kind of uh, uh, talent representing in India. So because of that, I think the thought was, at least my thought was, that AJ Styles was going to lose the title to Jinder Mahal either before or during the India tour so that the Indian fans got to see their hero in a match on that scale. That said, this week we found out that Triple H is going to be wrestling Jinder Mahal on the India tour. So... If Triple H has the Jinder Mahal match, you absolutely don't need, and it would almost like it would almost behoove you to put the championship on Jinder Mahal. If he's got the Triple H match, you have the opportunity to now have a Triple H match and a WWE Championship match. If you combine them into both, then you're you're taking one away, 
from this presentation that you could have. So when I heard that Triple H and Jinder Mahal were going to be wrestling on the India tour, I thought to myself, well, I, I don't think he's winning the championship back then. I don't think, I mean, you know, it's still, stranger things have happened. He could be defending the championship against Triple H, but I don't see the logic in that. I don't think it's necessary. And I think that AJ may be in this for the long haul. A couple things happened this week on tours. Number one, we found out that Triple H is going to face Jinder Mahal in India. Number two, you saw it, there was a big tease. I think it happened in Italy between Jinder Mahal, I mean, between AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura. The championship title placed down in the middle of the ring. AJ and Shinsuke looking at each other and the fans chanting WrestleMania. And then AJ Styles acknowledging it and saying, you want this at WrestleMania, Shinsuke Nakamura, you got it. Normally I would say, okay, that's guys doing what guys do, but WWE posted it on their Instagram. Now that said, I don't think it means anything. I don't think it means a thing. I don't think it goes to show you that uh, that they're planning that for WrestleMania, that you're getting that at this year's WrestleMania. I don't think that this is evidence of anything other than WWE is aware that this is a match that people want to see at WrestleMania and that AJ Styles is getting reactions like this as the WWE champion overseas as well as uh, here in America. So... That combined with the fact that Triple H has now been paired up with Jinder Mahal leads me to believe that Jinder Mahal is not winning the championship back for the India Tour. I don't think it's going to happen. It could. I don't think it's going to happen. So I don't think that Jinder Mahal is going to interfere in the match with AJ because, you know, I don't... I think that that would only be the case if this were leading to Jinder Mahal winning the championship back. Uh, so we may not see Jinder Mahal at Survivor Series. Again, unless he's setting up something new or maybe maybe because they want to keep Jinder Mahal as a big star they're gonna do the Triple H Jinder matches on the India tour and then maybe revisit it for the Royal Rumble Triple H having a Royal Rumble match who knows uh but and in, if that were the case then you could see Jinder you know getting involved with Triple H or something but I don't think he'll get involved in the AJ Brock Lesnar match he could but I don't think what I do think is that Kane will make his presence known I think that Kane will cost Braun Strowman uh, the match at Survivor Series. I think that is how you eliminate Braun Strowman from the Survivor Series match without him looking weak, without him getting pinned from anybody on SmackDown. I think Kane's going to suck him under the ring or show up from somewhere or burn him alive or do something to Braun Strowman. He's going to murder Braun Strowman like, oh my God, they killed Kenny in some way, shape, or form. And... And that will be it for Braun Strowman in the match. The reason that I think this is because watching Raw, you could watch Raw this week and go, okay, well, that was the end of Kane. He just made Kane disappear. And stranger things have happened. It's worked out that way before. If Kane got slammed through the ring and that's the end of Kane, then okay. But I don't see that happening because so much investment has been made in Kane in the last month. It does not make sense to have Finn Balor, somebody who's been built, 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 lose clean to Kane, be pinned one, two, three, right in the middle by Kane if the goal is simply to make Kane look stronger for when Braun Strowman slams him through a ring. 
because short-term anyway, you want Braun Strowman to look strong so that when he goes to Survivor Series, he's a big part of that team, a team where his teammate, Finn Balor, looks less strong because you had him lose to the guy that Braun Strowman had to beat to look strong. It doesn't make sense. It does not add up whatsoever. There is no way, no way that Kane is done, that the Braun Strowman-Kane story is over. I think that uh, uh, Braun Strowman will be in the match. Kane has, has no match at Survivor Series that I know of. I think Kane will make his presence known at Survivor Series and he will cost Braun Strowman uh, the Survivor Series match. I don't know that it, that means it'll cost Team Raw the match. I think that it's going to go, you know, I think that whoever wins the uh, championship match between AJ Styles and Brock Lesnar, the other roster, the opposite roster, will win the elimination match and vice versa. You know, I think Smack if SmackDown wins the elimination tag match, then Brock Lesnar will win the singles match. If AJ Styles wins the singles match, Raw will win the elimination match. That makes sense to me, and that, that seems logical. Um, but logic has been flawed before. I see uh, somebody asking where the dog is. Uh, I don't know. I think the dog's upstairs somewhere right now. Uh, I also, and Enrico is right. Oh, he says he was there when the AJ Styles Nakamura moment went down and it was such a cool moment. It looked awesome from the video and every moment that AJ Styles and Nakamura have had together has been pretty magic. You know, that moment that happened, I think at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view was really pretty amazing and it kind of told the story. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that match happened at WrestleMania, but I'm not holding my breath for it. The other big thing going down this weekend... And I will be part of the Survivor Series uh, kickoff show in Houston. I will also be on the panel for the NXT TakeOver War Games pre-show. And I'm so excited about that. That was something that I really wanted to do. Um, And I'm psyched. I'm psyched to be a part of it. Oh, real quick. I see uh, uh, one person asks uh, if Jason Jordan is going to cost Angle the match and Team Raw. You know, I don't think Jason Jordan would go after Kurt Angle. I think he would go after Triple H. But I think Kurt Angle should go after Triple H because I have a son. If Triple H came over my house right now and he pedigreed my son, I would be furious at Triple H. I'd be so pissed. I mean, my son's like eight months old. So I think a lot of people would be pissed at Triple H if he pedigreed my son. But regardless, I would be super pissed at Triple H if he pedigreed my son. Um... So I don't know. I, I don't I don't think it's possible. But I think with Kane interfering, you know, I don't know. Jason Jordan might take out Triple H. He might take out Triple H, but beyond that, I think it'll be cool. Like, you have so many combinations in that match. I think it'll be really interesting to see, like, uh, Bobby Roode and Triple H. You know, Triple H is the guy that brought Bobby Roode into NXT. I think that that's a cool pair-off. I love the idea of, of looking at John Cena and Triple H one more time. In the ring, the idea that Randy Orton is now a wily veteran looking at the guy that brought him in as a youngster in, uh, uh, I was going to say Entourage, Evolution. In Evolution, Triple H right there. You know, I think that a lot of interesting things could happen in that match, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But let's talk about TakeOver uh, War Games. I'm super excited that I'm going to get to be on this pre-show because 
this is something I've been waiting for personally for a long time. I did not grow up with WCW. I grew up with WWE. I started watching WCW in like the early 90s, you know, in like 93, I started watching WCW, but it was never my home promotion. I never looked at it like, oh yeah, WCW's on. I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with WWE later. It was always the reverse. Even during the Monday Night Wars, it was watch Raw, tape Nitro. Watch Raw, tape the Nitro replay, go to sleep, Next morning, wake up early so I can watch Nitro. You see what I mean? Because it's a school night. But I'm still really excited because war games to me, I don't know, when I was a kid, I always loved multiple ring things. You know, I liked the the the, the World War III 60-man three-ring battle royal. Would I uh, advocate to bring that back? No, <laughs> no, because it's really weird to have extra rings sitting there. The problem with the extra rings, especially the World War III setup where you've got like a triangle of rings, you got one and then two. You got two extra rings next to the one you're performing in and it ends up looking like something out of the performance center. It ends up looking like you're you've got your pay-per-view going on in a wrestling gym where you've got multiple rings because people need to practice and stuff, which is not the that's not the look. That's not the vibe that you want for a show. I'm interested to see because WCW was never great with production value compared to WWE. I'm interested to see how WWE handles shooting war games. You know, and not just the match itself, but how how they get around the fact that there's this second ring sitting next to the first ring uh, all night. So whether you're watching uh, Aleister Black versus the Velveteen Dream, or you're watching... Uh, uh, Cassius Ono, it doesn't like whoever you're, whatever matches you're watching, the the women's four way, you're gonna see uh, the the uh, uh, second ring there, and it's not, it doesn't look great. So I'm interested to see how they handle that, um, but uh, I'm really psyched to watch the double cage match. You know, I think that I think that they're going to do a great job. Number one, because they want NXT to continue this build, you know, they want NXT. So NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3 is a great show. It's a really good show. And one of the major takeaways was the appearance of Adam Cole, right? That ending where you really thought something special was happening, where you had Adam Cole, uh, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly. So in in the months since NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3, I don't think that they have been the force that they look like they were going to be. I mean, this looked like NWO 2.0, except the indie wrestling version, when they showed up at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3. Uh, on NXT TV, it hasn't it hasn't looked that way. But, you know, NXT TV is one hour. It's pre-taped weeks in advance, so it can't be all that spontaneous. Um, so there are limitations, but that said, they just haven't been the dominant force that it looked like they were going to be. Takeover War Games is the moment for that to happen. Takeover War Games is the moment to prove, because right now as a fan, I'm watching and I'm going, yeah, I don't blame Roddy Strong for not joining um, Adam Cole and Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly because why would he? You know, they're cool guys and they're awesome wrestlers, but it's not like nothing is, they haven't, completely dismantled Sanity, for instance. I think that they're probably a more dominant faction than Sanity, but that's just because I used to watch them in other promotions. If I'm just watching NXT TV, that hasn't been proven to me. 
Um, nothing has shown me that they're more dominant than the authors of pain. If I'm Roddy Strong and I'm getting into a War Games match, based on what I've seen on NXT TV, I'm picking the authors of pain over, you know, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, for example. Nothing, not taking anything in the past to account, but just what we've seen on TV, I'm definitely taking the authors of pain. So I think that War Game, TakeOver War Games is the moment that Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, and Adam Cole really have to prove their dominance. They're smaller guys than the other people in the match, than anybody else in the match. So they've got to show why they are a group to be feared, why the Undisputed Era is that thing, right? And I think, I, I hope that it happens because I'm such a big fan of all three of those guys. And I think NXT has done this pretty amazing job with the Authors of Pain in the sense that when they first showed up, nobody really knew who they were and they were just this another big team wearing all black. Um, but since then, in the months that they've been in NXT, they've really developed this kind of amazing fan following, you know, and, and for good reason, you know, they've, 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 they've convinced us, they've convinced me as an NXT fan that they should be looked at. Um, but all, and, and sanity is, is awesome. Like, I don't, I don't think that anybody who watches NXT would say a, a bad thing about sanity, but I think that this is the time that the undisputed era, they need this victory. They need to prove themselves as being dominant. We need to see why we should be looking at Adam Cole as the next thing, because at the end of takeover Brooklyn three, it was like, well, yeah, the reason he's invading is because he's the next guy, but I haven't seen that on TV yet. And I think that TakeOver War Games is the spot to see it. I think that that is what the motivation for uh, for uh, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, and Adam Cole is. Why did you guys leave Ring of Honor? Well, to dominate, baby. To make it count. So I, 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 think, that, I think that there's a, a good chance that it'll happen. Uh, of course, you've got the, uh, champ, the NXT Championship match, which is um, um, Drew McIntyre versus Andrade Cien Almas. And I've been a big fan of what Andrade's been doing. I, I really like the story that's been told with Andrade. Uh, I remember, when was it? Because I, 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 we were talking about it, it couldn't have been a year ago. It might have been TakeOver WrestleMania. It might have been all the way back in March. I think it was back in March, because I think that that's the show where you had Andrade losing to a debuting Aleister Black. I want to say that that was TakeOver at WrestleMania this year. And the story that was being told then, and you know, you guys know, I'm a sucker for a story. The story that was being told then was that Andrade was partying, hanging out with girls, and just not concentrating on wrestling and showing up and being in no condition and being tired and whatever, hungover, and he was losing matches. And so you've got this story that's been told, and it's the same, it's that the story arc that is since March, a little before March, since the beginning of this year, really, now we get to November, and we've finally gotten to the point where you can kind of believe that he's in this championship match. Zelina Vega is like this great counterpoint to him, this counterbalance that has made the whole thing make sense. You know, if he had just decided, okay, I'm not going to pay attention to these women anymore, Okay, 
Could you give me a little more than that, though? Could you give me something beyond that? And that's where Zelina Vega comes in. So I don't think he's going to win the NXT championship, but I do think that, uh, that it's really great that he's in the position that he's in, and I've loved, loved the story that's been told with him. You got your Fatal 4-Way for the vacated NXT Women's Championship match, which is Kairi Sane versus Ember Moon versus Nikki Cross versus Peyton Royce. And all four of those women are, are awesome. Of course, like Ember Moon is second only to Asuka as far as NXT goes, uh, you know, in the last year or two. And I think that this is an important match for Ember Moon because Ember Moon's now got to step up. She was... We, we all kind of were in agreement that she was second only to Asuka. You know, that she was, that, 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 that's the only, only person better than Ember Moon was Asuka. And we were all kind of okay with that, right? And they had some amazing matches. So now Asuka's gone. So now it's the point for, that's the spot that Ember Moon needs to fill. Or the story with her and Asuka gets, you know, crumpled up and thrown in the garbage. Because at the end of the day, that wasn't her. At the end of the day, we thought she was set, but she wasn't. I think uh, Sane is amazing. Uh, I, I'm just impressed that somebody can take a move like the elbow drop and actually make it new and fresh and cool. Um, I, Peyton Royce. Peyton Royce, you talk about somebody that NXT has built. You know, Peyton Royce is like one, uh, she wasn't plucked from someplace else. She didn't come with a ton of experience. She was she was like that original Charlotte. Even though Sasha Banks wrestled outside of WWE, it was still like a real introduction to Sasha Banks was in NXT. Uh, Bailey, like, and and again, I understand that they wrestled outside of NXT, but not in high profile ways, you know. So I, I think that Peyton Royce follows that uh, uh, that model, which I think is a very valuable model. NXT has done a good job of bringing in top talent and then pushing them to the main roster but we need more more of the Rusevs of the world <laughs> more of the people that come in built by NXT and pushed out to the main roster that way uh, and I think that Peyton Royce is one of those people um, and uh, Nikki Cross is just she's not like anybody else that's on the roster in, in terms of women you know she's going to be whenever she gets called up to the main roster it's going to be the real deal because nobody else is like this sort of like, she scares people you believe her you believe how scary she is so i think that it's all good i just i it it, it would seem it feels predictable to say that this is ember moon's match but you know in terms of storytelling i don't see how it's not ember moon's match uh alistair black versus velveteen dream has been announced and that's a, again I love an undercard story that's been told. It's not for a title. It's just a good guy versus a bad guy. And it's a story that's been built up over the last few months. Looking forward to it. Cassius Ono versus Lars Sullivan. I really like this because, you know, I'm never going to be upset about a Cassius Ono match. But I like that Lars Sullivan is getting a shot. Lars Sullivan is going to shine. And uh, it'll be good to see if he's got the ability because he's got such an amazing look. It'll be good to see if he's got the ability to be one of those breakout NXT stars. Uh, Scott says top talent then ruined once they're called up. I think that that's something that people say, um, but I don't think it's true all the time. I think sometimes it is. Um, you know, like I think Bailey and Sasha uh, are have not 
had a great time on the main roster, but I think Charlotte has had an amazing time on the main roster. I think that uh, people unfairly say that Nakamura has not had the greatest time because while he hasn't, uh, he may still be getting acclimated. And I have not given up on the idea that Nakamura is going to be a big draw on SmackDown. It might just take a little bit of time. So I think there there are success stories. You look at Enzo, you look at Cass, you look at like, there are success stories that come out of NXT. It's just that there are also stories of people that are not successful coming out of NXT. And that same thing can be said for anywhere. You know, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, I understand that they have deep histories, but they came out of NXT. The Shield all came out of NXT, you know. So um, I think that... uh, I think that there's a lot there. Uh, Patrick wants to get Big Hog James Ellsworth on the podcast. I'd love to hear about his improbable year of being uh, a role, of having a role, I guess, in WWE. Yeah, I'd really like to see. Uh, I really, I'd, I, I, I hope to get James Ellsworth on the podcast uh, sooner than later because I'd love to hear about how the last year went. I, I'm just fascinated by the journey. And uh, Derek is asking, do you think the authors of Pain will be handled well if brought up? I think so. I'd like to see how they size up against guys that are on the main roster, but I think that they're they're bigger than the guys on the main roster. Like the problem with a, that a lot of people have is they're in NXT and they're the same size or bigger than any of the other NXT guys, but then they get to the main roster and they're not bigger than anybody there, so they can't be this monster anymore. Uh, that said, I think that as you've uh, populated the main roster with more and more NXT people, that that size. That land of the giants thing has been taken away a little bit. So the authors of pain looking as big as they do in NXT, I think they're still going to look that big on the main roster. So I, I personally think that the the authors of pain appeal is kind of a universal appeal. Whereas the Ascension, for example, you have to buy into that sort of like demonic character. And there is kind of a goofy feeling for some reason just the vibe that nxt creates we're willing to suspend disbelief for goofier characters in nxt than we are on the main roster and that i think is the story of the ascension but the authors of pain is a universal which i think is why you see less goofy characters in nxt because they figured out that we can't have like the tyler breezes and the uh, ascensions and and these people get to the main roster and these characters don't fly whether it's because Vince McMahon doesn't like them or the audience doesn't like them or Triple H doesn't like them anymore. You know, who knows? But they don't. So I think that's probably why you've seen less of these characters. And while I think the authors of Pain would not have a problem on the main roster because it's a universal character, I do think that the Velveteen Dream would have an issue. I don't think Aleister Black would have an issue because, again, that's not sort of, that's not too over the top. That's like a real guy. He's just a dark, brooding, tattooed dude. Velveteen Dream, though, in that in the character as we know it, could have a problem on the main roster. That said, I don't think Patrick, the guy behind the Velveteen Dream character, will have any problem on the main roster. And, you know, I think the Velveteen Dream character can still evolve and change and, and turn into something that maybe could work. Maybe. Uh, all right, guys. I think that uh, uh, any word on Cass, Dale is asking... Download the podcast from two weeks ago. I had an interview with Big Cass. He talked about when he was coming back, how he was feeling, what he was doing at home, the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> how long is this Facebook Live, Sammy? I got things to do, but I can't turn this off. All right. We are, I got to go uh, I gotta go do some things. So, and that's the end of the state of wrestling anyway. I appreciate everybody 
tuning in to this week's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe uh, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, wherever you subscribe to podcast. Subscribe to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, and we will see you next week. Same time, same, well, it's not time, channel, it's just next Thursday here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to tune into the Survivor Series and NXT TakeOver War Games pre-shows. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.